you have your Bibles this morning, and you will, uh, find 2 Samuel, the 17th chapter. 2 Samuel, chapter 17. Last week, we talked about the fact that God has a plan, and you have a purpose to fulfill. And uh, we're going to be talking about that again today, because what I have realized is, some people here today could say, I love Jesus. I'm thankful for what He's done in my life. And I can't wait to see what He's going to let me do today and in the future. Some of you are here today probably thinking, Jake, if you knew my past, knew my mistakes, knew my failures, knew the fears that I have from my past, God can't use someone like me. Some of you might be here today saying, Jake, my calendar is totally full. We are maxed out financially, stress-wise, calendar-wise. And so God, if God wants something, it's going to be 2051 before I can help. Or maybe some of you are here today and just genuinely don't care. Your life is yours to live as you see fit. It's your money, it's your time, it's yours, and it will be yours. And that's all there is to it. And I do not know your heart this morning. Only you and the Lord know where your heart is today. But what I do want to show you today is that if you will let Him, God will use you. God will use you to do amazing things, even though it might seem very simple to the world. It might seem like it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but yet God has a purpose and a plan for you. In Philippians, the second chapter, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You see, God has a purpose for your life. And I really do believe that if you ever want to find true joy, Real peace, it is knowing who Jesus is and being where He wants you to be. And so if you'll pray with me, we'll go through the text. Father, today I thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I just pray that You would forgive me. Lord, that You would work in spite of me. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would do the work today that only He can do. Lord, I pray that Your Word would be preached. And Father, today you know that if I have anything to do with what goes on today, Lord, it will be a failure. And so, Father, work in spite of me. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're familiar with where we're at in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, King David has been ran out of his castle, out of his palace, out of his home, chased by his son for his life. If I was going to title this sermon today, I was going to title it When God Protects a King. Because there are so many similarities to the Christmas story and how God used ordinary people to put Jesus, the baby Jesus, where He wanted Him to be. Because when we think about God using us, most of us think of Noah. Most of us think of us Elijah. Most of us think of Moses, these humongous figures that do these amazing things that we could not even imagine. But what you and I don't realize is God usually is at work through ordinary people 
in ordinary situations that no one is going to write a book about, that no one is going to declare it from the rooftops, but yet God can use you in the most simple of ways. And today I want to show you that because as David is, is running for his life, we know that Ahithophel and Hushai have gave their counsel. Now what? And for you who have read your Bible, we can read these stories, know that they're true, but we also know how they end. But if you're looking at the people that are living these, King David's friends don't know if he's going to live or Absalom's going to live. Are they going to die for being loyal to King David or are they going to live? Are they going to get caught being a spy or will they be successful? And so just imagine the fear and the anxiety and the stress that these people are going with. And in our life, most of us, if we're honest, would say that's how I live most of my life. In the worry of what's going to happen. In the fear of the unknown of the stress of situations because while I trust God and I know that all things work to the good, it's hard to live that when you're in the middle of it. It's hard to really live that way when you are wondering how things are going to turn out. And so today I just pray that you will hear hopefully an encouraging word from the Word. And so if you're reading in your Bibles with me in 2 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to look that God will use people for life-changing tasks. God will use people for life-changing tasks. Go here in verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abathar the priest, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly to tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. What Hushai is saying is, we've got to tell David, I've done my part, but I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know if he's going to listen to me. I don't know if he's going to listen to Ahithophel. I like to think of this as an Indiana Jones movie. If you're not an Indiana Jones fan, that's okay. You've been wrong before, I'm sure. But there's always stress, but you know that he's always going to get it. He's always going to figure it out. He's always going to make it. But while he's tied up or while he's closing his eyes in the Ark of the Covenant, there's stress, right? And uh, if you've ever watched one of those movies, even though you know it's just a movie, even though you know it's going to work out, it's like, what's going to happen? Because at some point, a snake's going to show up, right? And, and I hate snakes, and uh, so I just, I know, though, but there's this tense moment of how's it going to work out. Maybe you've ever watched a spy movie and you've thought, who's going to betray who? I made a reference in the first service to uh, the Judge Dredd movie in 1995, and everybody was apparently not as big as heathen as I was to watch that movie. But it had uh, Sylvester Stallone in it. He was this cool future cop, right? And he was betrayed by a friend. And uh, you don't know that, though, until, what, later on in the movie that someone that was supposed to be loyal was not. And when we look at this story, we have to be asking ourselves, were they really going to be loyal to David? Were they not going to be loyal to David? Were they going to get caught? And so the suspense that we take out of the story really should be viewed in this. And so Hushai is saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but you've got to get moving. You are not safe where you're at. And so in verse 17 it says, 
Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed in Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Barim. Now I want you to see this because these were two men who everybody knew whose team they were on. And so they couldn't be seen going back and forth. And so they had this female servant who they said, you carry the messages to us, we'll carry the messages to them, but we can't be seen together. And so it's literally like something out of James Bond. They're trying to avoid being caught. But someone sees them. And this man was loyal to King Absalom. And so he naturally does what he does. He runs and says, hey, they're, they're conniving. They're sneaking around. They're trying to help King David. And so what happens is these men run to a home of a loyal friend. And there in verse 18 it says, who had a well in his court and went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it. And the thing was not known. And when Absalom Sermon came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook. And when they searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now most of us read this story and we think about it, but I want to show you how one simple act by someone who is just doing what they always do, living the life that they always lived, was used by God to save these two men. All this woman did was take a cloth, spread it out over the well, put the grain on it to look like she was working, like it was drawing, drying, and it saved these men's life. And in our walk with Christ, so many times, we do not how God is trying to use us in the little moments of life. How today when you leave here and go to the restaurant and your waitress brings you lukewarm coffee instead of fresh coffee, how you respond to her. How that single mother living on the street down the road from you, how if God has blessed you financially, you might be able to help and get something that they need. Or how you might be called by God to spend time with someone in a hospital that's getting ready to lose a loved one. Or it might be walking through a funeral home line and putting your arm around someone that just buried that person that they love the most in the world. You and I don't think about the importance of that. We don't see the significance of that. But we never know how God might use that to forever change someone's life. They don't sing songs about this woman spreading the cloth. They don't sing songs about her putting the grain on the well. But I'm guessing to Ahimaaz and Jonathan, she's a pretty special lady. She put her life on the line for them. I bet King David, when he hears the story of how did you survive? Oh, we went to this person's house and she was loyal and she did this. I'm guessing it forever changed David's life. And so today I want you to see that wherever God has you, as insignificant as it might seem, as unimportant as it might seem, you never know how God might use you to forever change someone's life. Think about the Christmas story, and we don't have time because the first sermon apparently went too long and I don't want to keep you long. But how that is so true in the Christmas story. In the Christmas story, we see all of the majesty of God. 
the star that was specifically where it was supposed to be. We see the heavenly angels and the host of them singing the praises of God. We see all of these wonderful, miraculous things. But we also see humble followers of God doing the obedient thing, being used by God to make an eternal difference. Write these down if you would. In Luke chapter 1 verse 38, Mary tells the angel, I am the Lord's maidservant. Whatever you say, let it be done. You do realize that the punishment for Mary, getting pregnant and having relations outside of with her husband in that time, the Bible says that the punishment for her should have been stoning to death. But she says, Lord, if this is what you need of me, and Lord, I am willing to do whatever you ask. She was just a simple, godly young woman who when God had a purpose and plan for her, she said yes. Think about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. A carpenter, not a king, not a military soldier, just a man who worked for a living, cared about his future wife, cared about his family. And the angel says, don't you worry about her. Don't you put her away. She's done nothing wrong. You take care of her. And you name him Jesus. And Joseph does exactly that. Think of the shepherds in the Christmas story. Literally, in the book of Luke, it tells us they were out in the country watching over their sheep. And so for you and I, you would be at work. And some of you are thinking, God doesn't speak to me at work. He will if you'll listen. They were out there with the sheep, worried about if they've got enough to eat off the ground, if the, if, if the weather's right, if one of them silly sheep's going to go up to the edge of a cliff and fall off, or you know all that comes with it. But yet the angel of the Lord came to them, and the host of angels came to them, right there just doing their job. And so God used them in the ordinary moments of life. And today I really want to encourage you with this. Because as a church, what goes on here on Sundays is so important. But friends, you can draw a crowd to a train wreck just like you can draw a crowd to something good. What goes on on Sunday mornings is not what will make this church great. What will make this church great is when God's people say, Lord, I am willing to be used by you in the everyday moments of life. I'm willing to forgive that person that lives down the street from me because what they said about me. Lord, I'm willing to forgive my family member who took advantage of me. Lord, I I am willing to be used by you to make a difference in my community. Lord, I'm willing to be willing to be used by you wherever you send me, even if it's inconvenient, even if it costs me something. Second thing I want to show you this morning from this passage of Scripture is that God will use people to protect us and accomplish His plan. Starting in verse 21, it says, Now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came out of the well, and went and told King David, and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose, crossed over the Jordan, By morning light, not one of them was left who had gone over to the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose 
and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. I want you to see here today that God had used these two men to give David this advice. And this advice allowed him to flee, allowed him to get distance between himself and the enemy. God used these two men to give him the warning that he needed to avoid danger. And friends, if you want to know if people really care about you, if they really love you, don't just worry about what they tell you when they agree with you. Be willing to listen to them when they don't agree with you. When they will tell you, hey, I'm concerned about you. Hey, I love you, but I'm afraid you're headed the wrong direction. Hey, I love you, but I'm really concerned about this for your marriage and for your family, for your children. Hey, I just, I love you, but I'm really concerned. That's what we see here. These men were willing to put their life on the line to tell David about the dangers that were coming. But I also want you to see here Ahithophel. Ahithophel, in my opinion, and Judas are two of the most heartbreaking people in the Bible. Because one, they had been a part of what God was doing. They had been part of the blessing of God. But yet their unforgiveness and their bitterness led them to a place where they made a terrible mistake. Judas betrayed the Lord, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ahithophel betrayed King David, the King of Israel. And once they made those decisions, they gave up hope. We know that Judas felt terrible about what he did, but he did not repent. And so he returned the money back to the chief priests and tax collectors. And Ahithophel realizes something. At this point, he understands that they're not going to listen to his advice. And he realizes God's not with them. King David's going to win. And when King David wins and comes back to town, who do you think he's going to be angry with? He's not going to be angry with Absalom. Absalom's his son. And as we know about us parents, we usually overlook our own kids' fault and blame someone else. My kid would never do that. Must have been the friends he was hanging out with. That, that, they're the problem. That, that's who did it. We even know that King David, even in the middle of the battle, tells his men, don't hurt Absalom. Make sure he's fine, he's safe. We know that after Absalom dies, King David goes into a point of mourning where the whole nation almost crumbles and revolts against him again. And so Ahithophel realizes, it's coming for me. I'm going to face the punishment for my rebellion. I am going to face the punishment for my sin. There is no way that David would show me mercy after what I've done. And friends, I want you to see this because today that might be you. You might say, Jake, there's no way my family will ever forgive me. There's no way that this situation can ever get better. I am so hopeless, there is no hope. But right here in verse 23, we see about Ahithophel. But in two verses later, we meet a man by the name of Amasah. And he was King Absalom's general. He was a rebel general. And after Absalom dies in the next chapter, David does something remarkable. He tells him, in order to have peace and unity and forgiveness, why don't you come and lead my army? That's the mercy that David showed. When we look in verses chapter 19 and etc., we will see that Shimei, the guy that made fun of King David, and Ziba, Ziba, the guy who betrayed Mephibosheth, 
David extended mercy to all of them. And what I want you to hear this is, I don't know where you're at in your situation. I don't know if you've given up on life, if you've given up on yourself, if you feel like you have sinned so much that God cannot love you. As long as Jesus is on the throne, if you want mercy, you can have it. There is not a situation, there is not a sin, there is not a relationship that if you will not come to Jesus today and say, Lord, I know that you died for me on the cross. Lord, I know that you were buried. Lord, I know that you arose. Lord, I know that you are willing to forgive me. Lord, I need mercy. If you want it, God will give it. His mercies are anew every day. And so today I just really want you to see that because what happened is Ahithophel felt there was no hope, but yet he could have had hope. Think about this though in this situation of Jesus. The wise men in Matthew chapter 2 were divinely warned by God from an angel that they must flee, that they must not go back to King Herod, that he wanted to kill the child. Think about Joseph in Matthew chapter 2. Verses 13 through 15, he was warned in an angel that says, you've got to leave. They're going to kill your child. They're going to kill all the children of this certain age group. You must flee. And so God used Joseph to protect the infant child. God used the wise wise men to protect the innocent child. And third and final thing today, not only will God use ordinary people, to do life-changing things. And not only will God put people in our life to protect us and accomplish His plan, God will use people to encourage and bless us. You say, Jake, this is a whole lot about people today. Friends, I'm trying to show you today that God is at work and that God has a purpose for you. And that purpose for you is not to sit around and get fat and sassy, to get to get happy on your own stuff. It is to be used by God to make a difference in the lives of other people and to bring Him glory in all situations. And so we see here King David has fled. He's crossed everything. He's in the wilderness. And the Bible says, starting in verse 24, Then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And I'm just going to read. There's like 37 names here, all right? So bear with me. And Absalom met Amasaw, captain of the army, instead of Joab. This Amasaw was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobai, the son of Nahash, from Rabah of the people Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzilia, the Gileadite, from Rogalim. Okay, yeah. So I want you to see all these names for a reason. Because these are not Jewish people. Some of them were pagans at one point. They were people that the Jews wouldn't have liked. They were Gentiles. But yet when David was in a time of need, God brought people from every tribe, from every situation to be there for him. 
And friends, when we see this, we see all of these people, but look what they do. And starting in verse 28, they brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and the cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. You see, God does not just have a plan to allow you to survive. God does not just have a plan to allow you to be delivered from your enemies. God also has a plan to provide your needs in the wilderness. Now look what he says here. When they fled, they didn't have time to pack a U-Haul and take it with them. Right? When you flee, you get the idea of a refugee with what they can carry. And that's exactly what David did with his 1,000, 2,000 people, we don't know, women, children, some soldiers, as they're carrying what they can out into the wilderness. The wilderness is exactly what it implies. The wilderness. They couldn't stop at a truck stop and get some fried chicken. They couldn't stop, stop at a Casey's and get some heavenly pizza. All right? There was in the wilderness, fleeing for their life, avoiding people who might betray them. And then they realize they're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. But they have no crops to harvest. They have no stores to shop in. But yet God knew exactly where they would be and exactly what they needed. He could have provided manna from heaven. He did it in the book of Exodus. He he could have provided whatever they needed from heaven. But who did he use? Some faithful people. Some people who cared about the king. Who cared about the things of God. And I say all of that today because I ask you this question, are you too busy to use your gifts when God needs to send you? Are you too busy to be sent? I said this in the first service, and I always try to say the same thing that way. One service doesn't think I'm picking on them or not picking on the other. But drawing a crowd on Sunday mornings is not how this church forever makes a difference in our community. It doesn't. Having people who show up when it's convenient to them, when it fits their schedule, to make them feel better about themselves is not church. Church is when people love Jesus enough to say, He paid it all for me. And I have no rights to my life. They are His. My talents, my time, everything I have is His. And I want to spend my life using it for Him. Whether that's holding a baby in the nursery, working in the food pantry to feed the hungry, whether that's walking through a funeral line when an aged church member dies, whether that's spending your Christmas day sitting with a person dying in cancer in the hospital. Those are the things that God is going to use to change people's life, not just sitting together on Sunday, but genuinely loving people enough to say it's not convenient for me, it's not really something I want to do at the moment, but I want to be used by God to go into this community that is broken, that is hurting, that is in need of the gospel 
and say, here we are. We love you. We care about you. We will be those people that are sent. We'll be the people who will use what God has given us to make a difference. That is when this church can really be used by God to make a difference. To make a difference with the broken and the hurting. I know if you watch the news like I do, things are in absolute chaos. We are living in a broken, morally bankrupt society. But you have to believe one thing. That darkness only can be pushed away with light. And friends, lies and falsehoods can only be corrected with the truth. And I'm thankful that Jesus said that He is the way, the life, and the truth. I'm glad that He talks about being the light of the world. And so while King David's situation looks terrible, no army, no supplies, no support, he's fleeing, but yet even in the midst of all that brokenness, God said, I know what you need, I know who you need, and I can orchestrate all of it for your good. And friends, you have to believe that this morning. Whether your marriage is broken, whether your relationships are falling apart, I want you to think about this, and we're teaching this on Wednesday night. So if you were at Wednesday night church, you've already heard this. But David Jeremiah tells us in his book, Why the Nativity, a really remarkable thing that I've never thought about. He talks about the gifts that were brought to worship Jesus. And he says this statement, those gifts would have been used to pay for the flight to Egypt. Now, I was thinking, well, there was no airplanes in that day. What are you talking about flight? He's talking about fleeing. Because just like David fled with nothing, when Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to Egypt, they fled with nothing. How do you think they paid for a place to live for all that time until Herod died? How do you think they bought all the food to keep a young family up and running? The gift of gold that was brought. God knew exactly what Joseph needed, Mary needed, what Jesus needs, and He knows what you need. But friends, that is also the case for other people. And friends, many times that need is to be met by you. God has given you what He has given you to be used for that purpose. You say, Jake, I work hard for my money. I don't disagree with that, but it's still His. Jake, I work hard for my time and my calendar and my schedule. It's still all His. And so in a world that is hurting and is broken and is in need of the love of God, you, as the people of God, are the instrument that He wants to use. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, that's great, because I would like to say one more thing, and then I'll close. Luke chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Then He said to them, talking about His disciples going out, preaching the gospel, doing miracles, working amongst the people, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in His harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. You see, my great prayer is that when people in this community have a need and they say God met it 
that we can be the instrument that he uses. Well, I was, when I was sitting at home, didn't know how I was going to pay my electric bill, and my husband lost his job, and, and, I, and I can't work because I'm off too. Who paid it? We did. When that single mom or that young family who have lost their jobs and can't buy Christmas this year and their kids are struggling, who came along and blessed our family? We did. I was sitting in the hospital and, and I had a dying loved one and someone from 10 Mile came by and checked on me. My mom's a shut-in, has no visitors, no company, but yet somebody came and visited her. The list goes on and on and on. And friends, the impact that you can make in those moments seems so insignificant to you and I. But friends, it might make an eternal difference. Think about the woman who just spread the cloth put a little grain on it, save those two men's life. Those two men who risked their life to take that message to David saved thousands of lives. And those people who showed up on David's doorsteps in the wilderness and provided that food and that nourishment and allowed them to move on and to build a bigger army of people returned the kingdom back to David. For friends, this morning I give you this one challenge as you go throughout this Christmas season. Look in the little moments, in the simple moments, in the moments that no one else pays attention to see how you can share Jesus with someone. And I believe if you'll do that and be faithful in that, God will use you to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, i just thankful that you are at work in every situation. And I know today, Lord, that this sermon has been challenging. It challenges our comfort. It challenges our selfishness. It challenges us in our pride. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to make a difference for your glory. Not for our name, not for our fame, but to point people to you. So, Father, I pray that for the moms who are stressed out and overworked at home, Lord, to remind them that in the simple moments, they are making an eternal difference. To the worker who is struggling at work with their coworkers and their boss and how to respond, Lord, that they, in those simple moments, can make an eternal difference. Father, for us as a church to not be so caught up with the glamour and the production and all that goes on to do church, Lord, that we miss caring for the widows and the orphan and the broken and the hurting. And so, Father, I pray today, Lord, that most importantly, Lord, that the people that are here know you. Lord, that they know that you love them so much that you died on a cross for them, that you rose from the grave, you conquered sin and death. And so, Lord, today I pray that no matter what Satan has convince them, Lord, whether they're too good to be saved, whether they're too broken to be saved, Lord, that you would show them that they need you. And so, Father, whatever else is going on in this place today, Lord, you know it, and I pray that you would convict and work and move in the hearts of this group of people today, Lord. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.